0: Psalms 2, verses 1 to 12. Let the whole Psalm take it off, read it out loud for us. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. Against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their courts from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in division. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Amen. This is what people call an enthronement psalm, a psalm that... Israelites use during the coronation ceremony of their kings. Uh, And frequently it it, it speaks of uh, the theological reality, the spiritual reality of God's reign and what seems to be the earthly reality of uh, people not living under that reign, uh, people revolting and rebelling against God. And frequently we too feel very small in this world. Uh, We feel like we can't control our relationships, uh, the trajectory of our uh, careers, um, we, I mean, let alone—I uh, mean—we can't even control our own lives. Let alone the things that happen at the national scale, right? The political movements, the cultural trends, the global happenings—we feel like just little minions that have little control over uh, the things that happen in this world. And so frequently, uh, people feel disempowered and disenfranchised, uh, and Christians. Uh, in certain parts of the world, we feel particularly disenfranchised and disempowered. And sometimes that leads us to turn to other champions, um, uh, which may explain some of what's happening this season you know, in, in the U.S. Uh, the election cycle. Uh, but in the, their best moments in church history, Christians have always turned to God as their champion uh, and not to men as their champion. Uh, and, and this passage speaks about that reality. And, and the main point that the psalm reminds us of is, is that even though we battle with the sense of uh, embattlement, that we're kind of uh, being attacked or that we are uh, surrounded by enemies or people that don't share our values, uh, really uh, we can take refuge in God because God remains enthroned. As king overall. So, when we are embattled, we can take refuge in him because we, he remains enthroned as king overall. So, let's first look at how, uh, the, how the Israelites felt embattled by the nations, and then secondly, how God remains enthroned above the nations by looking at uh, Psalm 2. So, first, it tells us about the nations' uh, rage the, and how Israelites felt embattled by them, in verses 1 to 3. Why did the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Uh, The words are telling, their nations are raging, uh, they're they're plotting, they're setting themselves against God and his anointed. They're taking counsel together. And this could be, this would sound very threatening because... uh, we know that men are capable of accomplishing a lot. People are uh, capable of accomplishing a lot when they put their heads together, when they get counsel together, when the nations gather together. And we see an example of this in Genesis uh, when uh, just before uh, Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 11, people try to build a Tower of Babel. Right? They try to build a tower that reaches the heavens for their own glory and so that they don't have to be scattered throughout the earth, uh, which is in direct... Uh, Affront to God's glory and, and direct violation of God's command to spread throughout the earth. Um, so, so that, and So God punishes them, but as he does that, he says this in chapter 11, verse 9, Behold, they are one people and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Right, so, nothing that they propose to do will be impossible for them. And when the nations conspire together, and of course, this is kind of general comment on the ingenuity of men, what they're able to do, not a, an expression of God feeling threatened by men. And we know that, and especially in this psalm, it shows this because if you look at verse 4, starting in verse 4, it says, He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord holds them in division. So this is in stark contrast to what the people are doing. They're plotting. They're busy. They're, they're you know, putting their heads together, counsel council together. But the Lord is not, you know, anxiously standing, looking to see what's going to happen, or pacing around in anxiety. He's sitting. I mean, he's, he's enthroned. That's what it literally is. He says he's, he sits. He's enthroned in the heavens. He laughs. He laughs at them, and he holds them in... Division, uh, And it says that he's the Lord, right? Uh, the Lord holds them in division. So the word Lord occurs occur several times in this chapter, uh, but this is uh, different from the other occurrences because it's not capitalized, it's not in all caps. So that when it's all in all caps, it's referring to the personal name of God, uh, the, that the covenant name of God that he revealed to Israel. But here, because it's not in all caps, it's actually the word Lord that is used and the reason why the lord sits enthroned and laughs and holds them in derision is because he's the lord he's the master he's the one in charge and he's not afraid i'm undaunted by what these nations are plotting it's i kind of think of it in my image like a, like you know busy these people are like busy bees you know buzzing around and uh, forming doing stuff in their honeycomb uh, and and god's like this 800 pound grizzly bear you know that just comes and takes the honey and actually grizzly bears eat not just the honey but along with it, the bees and the comb, honeycomb as well. Uh, and and, uh, and it's in real life it's not like Winnie the Pooh that runs away from the honeybees. You know, the grizzly bears don't care about the bees uh, stinging them because the fur is too thick, uh, they can't penetrate the fur. So the big so the bear comes, takes the honey and then saunters off. And all he needs to do is just vigorously shake himself to shake off the dead bees, dead honeybees from his fur, just like he shakes off water, and then he goes off to his next destination. He's unfazed um, as he uh, sees these busy bees um, buzzing about him. Um, and it's, it's kind of like that. It's the nation's rage, They plot, they counsel together, yet the Lord sits, He's enthroned. When the nations, uh, when, when his people feel embattled, when the nations seem to wage war against him, he sits enthroned and laughs. He holds them in the creation. Um, and uh, uh, similarly, so God uh, responds that way. If you look at verses 5 to 6, then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. God uh, speaks to them in his wrath and it just terrifies the people that are crying against him. Uh, And how he responds is by setting up his own king. As the earthly kings rage against him, he sets up his own king on his own holy hill. Uh, And this is uh, significant uh, because Israel... Though it was a monarchy, in a sense, they had kings. Uh, it was, strictly speaking, not a monarchy. It was a theocracy uh, because the, the king was viewed not as a sovereign ruler, but as God's representative. He ruled uh, as God's representative. And, and that's the case here. So if you look at verses 7 to 9, the anointed one, the king that God puts in place, then speaks about the decree that God gave him. So verses 7 to 9, be with me says, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Um, And this has... Uh, very clear Christological implications. It, it speaks of Christ. This is why Psalm 2 is one of the most frequently cited Old Testament passages in the New Testament. Um, and Christians throughout the ages have seen uh, uh, a prediction or a prophecy of Christ in this passage. Um, and, and, and the connection is very obvious. In verse 7, he calls this, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Uh, there is, of course, the kings were referred to as sons of God, in a way, uh, but Israelite kings were distinctly earthly. They were humans. They were not uh, they were considered divine like some of the pagan nations consider their kings to be divine. Uh, yet here it speaks of him uh, being begotten, um, and of, and which, which uh, later in John gets picked up uh, as language of the unique Son of God. Uh, and, and not only that, uh, it it looks forward to the time when Christ will come because this, the, this sonship language is the language that God originally used when he made a covenant with King David saying that Solomon will be to him like a son, he'll be like a father to him. Uh, and uh, you know, he promised him an everlasting kingdom. Yet, of course, no earthly kingdom is everlasting. So the kingdom here in view, the king here in view points ultimately to Christ who alone reigns forever. So he's the son uh, that's, that's in view here. And uh, and he, Christ, uh, as it says here, also inherits nations. It's verse 8. It says, like, I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. And if you look at the book of Acts, it chronicles how the gospel of Jesus Christ goes from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So it goes to all nations. Christ inherits all the nations because he reigns over the, over the entire universe. Uh, and then finally, God promises... You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Uh, This is a really powerful image of unbreakable iron shattering something that's weak and brittle like pottery. I mean, you take an iron to pottery, you know what's going to break. And that's uh, Jesus. He, He destroys his enemies. And even though he died on the cross and that seemed, uh, appeared to be like a defeat, yet he was triumphing over sin and death, yet he was defeating his enemies, because the true enemy the true, is, is the world flesh and the devil, right? It's, uh, it's not uh, ultimately uh, the people, uh, but it's the world flesh and the devil uh, that are the enemies of God, that lead people astray, that lead people in this rebellion against God. And Christ definitively destroys uh, and defeats the enemies of sin and death. Uh, and, and that's, uh, and, and so Christ is, is the ultimate anointed one. So anointed one, actually, Christ means anointed one, right? And he's the ultimate anointed one in view as this passage uh, with, was used in the coronation of Earth, uh, Israelite, Israelite kings. It envisioned the time when the ultimate king, the ultimate anointed one, would come. Uh, and then verses 10 to 12 uh, this passage. He says, Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. It's the language of kiss the Son means be subject to him. Right? You kiss royalty. you kiss the... Uh, the, your suzerain king the king that reigns over you and he's basically calling his earthly kings to become vassal kings as kings who are subject to this high king uh, and, 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 and because Christ is, uh, reigns even in our embattlement because Christ is enthroned because this God is enthroned uh, those who take refuge in him are blessed so he concludes blessed are all who take refuge in him and so if we think about that, uh, we need to, uh, to apply this to our lives. In, in a way, think of our world, our lives, as a kind of a virtual reality. I mean, it's, it seems like the world we live in is, is real, it's raw. That's what's most real in our lives sometimes. But really, it's, it's, things are not as they seem. So When we feel oppressed by the daily pressures at work, where maybe they herald uh, the values that are contrary to uh, the values of Christ or where when in, in there when we are oppressed by society where their own vision of human flourishing and goodness is contradicts that of God and that of God's Word when you feel grieved by people's sinfulness maybe your own sinfulness in your life when we feel embattled by all the things that are going on around you and in you we remember that Christ is Came to destroy sin and death, that he's the one that breaks them with the rod of iron and dashes them in pieces like a potter's vessel. We have to remember that Christ, who broke the power of sin, killed death, and he subjected the spiritual powers and authorities of the world. And that's why no matter what situation we're in, we can take refuge in God when we are in battle. because we remember that God may be enthroned as king over all with that in mind, uh, let's sing. Uh, we sing Glorious Christ uh, and let's a prayer in response to Christ.